Jim Callaway. And I'm John Simic, sitting in for an ailing Sharon Nelson. This is the 18th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, we're very lucky to have with us Andy Atkins, the author of a new and very popular book just published by the American Bar Association, The Lawyer's Guide to Practice Management System Software. Sorry this isn't a video pod podcast because Andy sure looks fine in his cowboy hat. Welcome, Andy. Thanks very much, John, Jim. Good to talk to you. I know we saw each other last week at the ABA Tech Show, and what a great show we had, but I appreciate you inviting me today. Well, Andy, obviously, uh, I've known you for several years now, and it, just so our listeners know, you're the director of the Legal Technology Institute at the University of Florida Levin College of Law, and you are not a lawyer by training. You're actually an engineer by training, but you've written uh, numerous books before this one. You've done much study of case management systems and actually yourself serve uh, two years as the chair of ABA Tech Show. So if anybody's wondering, uh, Andy may be one of the most qualified guests we've uh, invited to be on the Digital Edge. And we're going to move a little bit outside, I think, of, of Andy's latest book that, that, he's, that he's written just because he is an overall legal technologist. Okay, let's get started, Andy. First of all, in this down economy, what do you believe that small law firms should be doing in regards to their technology plan and purchases? I think one of the big things, and it was pretty apparent at the ABA Tech Show, that law firms, depending upon their business model and whether they have a lot of business now or whether they're slacking out, but first of all, they've got to bring in additional business. And it's not just what's coming in tomorrow, it's what's going to be coming in the next year. In regards to technology, they may or may not be looking at a, that cycle where they have to replace computers. But they certainly need to be looking at implementing whatever the technology that's going to give them the most bang for the buck. That may be additional training. It may be implementing a case management system. It just depends on, on the model that they're in and the business cycle that they're in. At Tech Show last week, which you had, you had mentioned, Andy, I spoke with several of the, the firms there, and they're still using Novell group, GroupWise. And and their, their IT support folks, et cetera, are telling them that they need to get off of that and they need to move over to Exchange and Outlook. Sh should they be doing that? Well, I think it's a question of sooner rather than later. It, it, it's no longer a question of if they, if they need to. Microsoft definitely has the market share. I think the latest ILTA study, which is the uh, International Legal Technology Association, is showing that Microsoft Outlook is used in about 90 to 95 percent of law firms of that organization. Most software that is out there, in fact, I'll go ahead and say all software that uh, works for the legal profession works with Microsoft Outlook. A smaller percentage works with Nobel GroupWise, so there's that integration issue of the, out, the Outlook email and Outlook address book and the calendar. Is that going to work with the other systems that you're implementing? Definitely will with Outlook. There's a question as to whether it would work with GroupWise. You just have to check with the, or the, uh, with the software developer. I still see a lot of people using GroupWise, and I'm kind of surprised at it. So that's uh, an interesting thing that they're being told not to, Andy. One of my favorite tools is Adobe Acrobat. Adobe Acrobat, though, is more expensive than some of the other PDF converters. Do law firms really need to spend the, the bigger bucks for Adobe Acrobat, and what do they gain by doing that, Andy? Adobe Acrobat is one of those tools that has so many functions that most law firms just ha don't have a clue. If you look at I don't know, 20 or 30 functions that Adobe Acrobat does, converting a document to PDF is just one thing. And you've got to look at the, the, the benefits of moving to Adobe. For example, if you need digital signatures, 
you can do that in Adobe. If you need to edit or redact, or if you need Bates numbering, or if you need to convert to uh, OCR, or if you need if you receive PDF documents and you need to uh, convert and edit those, those are all built-in tools that Adobe Acrobat has. So the, the lawyer actually has to look at one of the, you know, the many functions that Adobe has. On another point, I want to I want to bring this to attention too, is that the the big uh, the big move right now is going green or sustainability or going paperless or any of those topics. You can do a lot of things in Adobe Acrobat that you can't do in the other PDF converters where you can make comments, you can highlight certain topics or things in the Adobe, uh, in the PDF document itself, and you can't do that in converters. So, you know, if a law firm is looking at trying to uh, go green, definitely Adobe Acrobat has a lot more functionality than just the plain old uh, vanilla PDF converters. And I, I agree with that, Andy, as well. But there's a lot of buzz going on right now about document management systems. And can you tell us a little bit about what is a document management system? And, and is it going to help lawyers, uh, especially in small firms? Well, I don't know how much time do we have today, John. <laughs> Doc, document management, I mean, you, you, you guys know what document management is. Uh, you know, it's a way of organizing documents that is shareable throughout the law firm. And it's more than just word processing documents. I mean, we're talking about email, we're talking about attachments to email, we're talking about spreadsheets, PowerPoint, PDFs, everything of that nature. Several big functions of document management, which some firms may not be aware of, is the ability to do full text search on all documents in the office. And again, this is uh, authorized access, so there is security built in. So if you do have for instance, personnel documents that you don't want people to look for are fine. You just exclude them from that search. But also the ability to have versioning. When you have, <coughs> excuse me, especially on the transactional side, lawyers go back and forth and create different versions of documents. Instead of naming the document version one on today's date, actually the document management system has all that stuff built in. There are lots of benefits that law firms look at. The other thing I found, especially in the small firm, is if you don't have a document management system, lawyers tend to store documents either under their home directory by the attorney directory, which uh, wreaks havoc when they have a temporary uh, secretary come in or when other attorneys or paralegals need to access their documents because it's really by attorney and then by client. And if you have several attorneys working on the same case, you may have the same document in three or four different places so you come into this data integrity issue, where is the latest copy of the latest document? So document management is one of those tools that certainly helps out in that area. Andy, if I could have a follow-up question on that. I heard a lot of people talk about document management systems and they always talk about forced compliance. What part does that play to the things? In one of the big problems that you have, even within the same law firm, is standardization and document naming conventions. When you can implement that type of thing where people have naming conventions, I think that kind of helps into this compliance issue. If you remember, and I'm stretching here, but back when I started, which is probably when you were just a young kid, Jim, <laughs> we were back at the DOS, the DOS days where your naming, your file name could only hold eight characters with a dot and then three character extension. And so people kind of forced themselves 
into a document naming convention because we had that. When we came to the Windows environment, now we can have, I think, up to 256 characters to name a document. So we've lost that, that, uh, that, that forcing you to name documents in a certain way. Boy, now I feel old because I remember DOS. <laughs> I'm, I'm young at heart, but I still know my way around the C prompt, Andy. So that's good. Uh, moving along, uh, what's the difference for uh, our listeners between case management, matter management, and practice management? That's a good point, and I've I've been talking about this for the last couple of years, and obviously because I wrote the book on case and matter management which is called practice management systems, by the way. There is confusion in the, in the industry. Essentially, if you look at litigators and you look at transactional lawyers, and then you look at corporate and government law firms, litigators typically are in their own area, and they're really driven by the calendar, and they work on cases. And most of the case management systems that are out there today were really developed primarily, or at least a few, up until a few years ago, primarily for the litigator. So they follow the flow of information through a, a typical litigation case. On the transactional side, they're not really driven by the calendar. They're more document-driven with multitudes of documents on the transactional side, including corporate, uh, corporate law departments, they're really going to be more driven by the, um, by the document itself, and they work on matters. So the biggest difference between case management and matter management is really in, in whoever's selling it. I think it's a market perception as to what's the difference. In most cases, they all do the same thing. Now, those handle the front end of the case or the front office piece. What is missing from those is the back office, your time and billing and your accounting system. There are full practice management systems out there, and that's where the term comes from, that handle both the front office and the back office. So instead of having disparaged systems where you, if you're looking for Andy Adkins, you want all the information about it, if you look in the case management system, you'll find all the cases and all of the calendar items, the diary entries, the documents, everything associated with that. But then you may also have to do a separate search in your time and billing system to get the billing records. A practice management system marries the two. So that encompasses the entire front office and back office, and that's the main difference between them. That's a great explanation, Andy. You'd, I've you'd, been practicing. Thank you. <laughs> you had spoken earlier about Adobe Acrobat and so much of the things that it can do, and especially with the the going green movement. But but can a law firm truly go paperless? Well, I've uh, can they possibly uh, will they probably not. And let me give you the example that I tell my students here. I teach a class called Law Practice Management. I've been teaching it since 2002 here. And one of the things I tell students in our marketing session is you will probably never see a lawyer on the back page of a phone book holding up a CD. They're always got books in the background because that's something that represents knowledge and wisdom. And you've got that stereotype that comes along with the legal profession. When it comes down to trying to go paperless, what we're finding is that people are looking for ways of using less paper. And that's not only a technology issue, which is pretty much resolved, it's more of a culture issue. Uh, I'll tell you about a month ago, I was down in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic and visited a law firm, the OMG law firm there, and they are all Apple-based uh, systems. They are an open office, meaning that there are no closed doors. 
and you'll have one desk facing another desk and there's a lawyer at each desk and the, the only thing they have on the desk is a telephone and a computer there is no paper they're allowed a maximum of two filing cabinets and it, it was very impressive I, I was joking with the managing partner I said you probably have another floor downstairs with all the paper don't you <laughs> but you know it takes a lot to try to go paperless and the, the whole object is that you're trying to carry less bulk around with you and when you have paper typically whoever has that paper has the information if you can put all that stuff on the computer then it's shared so it's no longer one file one folder one filing cabinet now everybody that's using the computer system has access to that and that's that's how we do with less paper with the advent of case management systems and the mobility aspect of taking cases putting them on your laptop and in some cases taking information on your Blackberry or your Windows mobile device you're starting to see a lot of lawyers who are truly understanding the concept of doing with less paper. Andy if I could jump in here in a minute in response to a question I told a group of lawyers earlier today you know 15 years ago if a lawyer's office burned down everybody would be sad that they lost the files and the courts and the court clerk and, and opposing counsel perhaps under court order would help you reconstruct those 15 years in the future if a law office burns down and they lose all their files I think the reaction is going to be what you didn't have all that backed up <laughs> well that's we I mean we're facing that problem right now I hate to bring these up because people have talked about them and it's, it's not the greatest situation but both 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina really brought a lot of this disaster recovery and business continuity issues and again a lot of people lost a lot of things I deal with students all the time here and a lot of people a lot of students don't they don't know what a backup is maybe on a thumb drive but what they're doing especially in some of their papers they're emailing it to themselves so if their computer crashes which happens a lot with students then they can go back to their email and recover those documents I mean it's a it's a it's it's not the best way of doing a backup but when you don't have any better ideas you know it works well thinking about another method of digital files what about a tech show we saw a lot of products that were using the software as a service model I remember a few years ago virtually the same thing was called application service providers and that went out of vogue but do you think it's safe for lawyers to store their uh, client information in the cloud rather than locked within their office I think that that is a model that people should be looking at and I said this back six years ago with the ASPs the application service providers the idea and just to give our listeners what this is is that the software application, let's say a case management system, instead of installing it on your computer or your server in your office, it resides somewhere else outside of your office, typically what they call a host. It could be the developer who developed the software or it could be a third party, but somebody else is taking care of all of that hardware, the servers, the infrastructure, the bandwidth, all of that stuff. You don't have to deal with that in your office. That's the benefit. There are obviously some things that are concerning to lawyers. One, the biggest thing I hear about is client confidentiality and privacy issues. You're storing your stuff on that server, which is outside of your office. And are you comfortable with that? And that's really where it boils down to. Is the individual attorney or the individual law firm comfortable with that concept 
that their data is residing on another computer somewhere else. If you can get over that, I think that that's pretty much the, the issue that you have to deal with. Now, two, two companies that recently came up within the last year, and they were both at the tech show, a company called Thema Solutions, which has a product called Clio, C-L-I-O, and the other is a company, and they're a Canadian company, by the way, not that that matters, and then another company called Rocket Matter. Both of those are web-based case management systems that are hosted, and they fall under the SaaS platform. I encourage people to look at them. They are not, they don't have as, what's the term, functionality that you would find off a client server system like Time Matters or Amicus Attorney, Abacus Law, or Practice Master, but they, they are something to look at, and they, they should only get better. So the big question is, is the lawyer comfortable with that type of platform? And if so, then encourage them to look at that, and it, are they going to be able to meet the benefit or uh, meet the needs of what the law firm's looking for in a case and matter management system. Well, I think we could have a very heated discussion about the SaaS model, Andy, and and spend many, many hours discussing that. I know it, it gets some some folks get real religious about it, certainly. Oh, sure. I mean, we we definitely saw it at Tech Show because these two new products came out and they're they're like hitting uh, people want to have an easier solution and not have the headaches of having an installed system. But Again, like you said, the heated discussion is not really about the technology. It's about the culture. It's about you know the the security, and all of those things that that lawyers really need to worry about. Let's move on to another topic. Since you are such a, a great technologist, what about the mobility issues that you talked about and, and telecommuting? Certainly, in well, at least gas prices are a lot lower than they used to be. Although they're still fairly high, in my opinion, are those good ideas for for law firms to to do the telecommuting aspects? I think it, it really boils down to what the law firm is looking for. I actually did a session with Ben Shore on this Saturday morning at Tech Show. Very good discussion. We had about 80 people in the room. And, uh, I mean, Ben and I sort of started off, and, and the attendees sort of took it from there. But, you know, it is a discussion. The biggest thing I want to draw out in this is that telecommuting is not just about remote access. I mean, anybody can dial in and get access here or there. There's technologies out there, and we could spend a whole hour just on that. But the important piece about telecommuting is that you can't really look at the clock. You can't manage by time spent on a project. You have to manage by objectives. Let me repeat that. You manage telecommuters by what they get done, not how much time they spend on it. On the other side, from the telecommuter side, some tips that if you're looking at doing this at home or some someplace outside of the office, you got to make sure you've got some space. And Ben made a very important comment, which which I didn't pick on pick up on until after he made it, is that you got to have a door that closed, and it's not one to keep people out; it's to keep you out. In other words, if you're working from home. You need to be able to close the door and not go into the office so you're not in there overworking or putting too much time in because it can be a burnout because you get into it. On the other hand, there are some people that have faced this issue, especially people that are telecommuting now. They don't have a water cooler. They don't have a coffee machine or a snack bar. They are essentially by themselves, and sometimes they may feel alienated when they are by themselves working at home. And so, you know, that's one of the things you've got to look at 
when you're telecommuting. I will also tell you, you should have a policy if you are going to be working with telecommuters. In that policy, who owns the equipment? Who's responsible for that equipment? And I'll tell you right up front, the law firm ought to own it, and they ought to give it to the telecommuter. That way they, they can control the standardization, they control virus protection, and all of those other things that a telecommuter or somebody working at home may not have those resources available to them. So you don't think it's a good idea to use the, the machine that's got the peer-to-peer -peer network installed? Well, you know, LimeWire or Manifesto or any of those. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, and like I said, you're, you're, you've got – it's like the SaaS platform. If someone is working at home, they may have confidential client data on that computer and run into all of those issues that you have to deal with with someone who walks out of the office with a laptop. Okay. Well, there's a lot of things to think about. I've been exploring the home office concept a little with some lawyers that have been coming in talking to me about it. I think we're going to hear more about that too. It's really interesting when you take surveys of lawyers, they say they have case management software, but then when you ask them what type, Andy, they often say Microsoft Outlook. Why is Outlook a good choice or not a good choice to manage your law practice? I run into this all the time, and our good friend Ross Codner and I just love getting into this conversation. Microsoft Outlook is a good tool, and Microsoft Word is a good tool. But typically what you'll find is that the attorney and the secretary or legal assistant and the paralegal are all working in that one system. But it's only a small group. And when you're working in an environment that requires or that where you need to have more people involved in sharing information, Outlook and Word don't do it. That's why people need to look at a case or a matter management system because now it puts it into the environment where a lot of people can access the same information at the same time. Outlook and Word, what they do, they do it very well, but they don't, they don't have nearly the functionality that a case or a matter management system does. Andy, as you said before, you, you certainly you wrote the book on, on practice management, and hence we've got our, our new version out. But for, for solos and, and small firms, what kind of systems should they be looking at? Some, some of these systems are really for, made for, for large firms. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, let, me, let me first describe the environment. A solo or a small firm needs to look at what they're currently using now. Uh, in most cases, they're going to be using the Microsoft Office suite, which means they're using Outlook. Very few of them, I think, would be using GroupWise, so that's one thing. The second thing is the word processor. Are they using Word or WordPerfect? In the, in the legal environment, the ILTA surveys are showing us about 95% of the overall profession uses Microsoft Word. But when you get down to smaller firms, that number is dropping to around uh, 60%. So that means it's, there's still 40 45% of small firms and solos that still use WordPerfect. So you've got to look at that environment, what your, what your office, your group, groupware environment is, and what your word processor is. A third thing is to look at your existing time and billing system. And there's numerous ones of those. But most people are using things like time slips, QuickBooks, or Quicken. They may be using PC Law, or they may be using Billing Matters or some of those. So you've got to look at your environment, and then what's going to fit and integrate with those things. So having that in mind and setting that aside, 
let me describe what the, the top four market leaders are for solos and small firms. And these are in no order. The top two are Amicus Attorney and Time Matters. And depends on who you ask, like what vendor, they'll tell you who's on top. But essentially, those are the two that most people are using, Time Matters and Amicus Attorney. Following that, there's a company called Abacus, which has a program called Abacus Law. They've been around for 20-some-odd years, I think. And just as long in that environment as a company called Software Technology that has a product called Practice, uh, Practice Master. Software Technology, their time in building system is called TABS 3. To take it a step further, and I may be going farther than I should, but Lexus recently purchased uh, Time Matters and PC Law and Billing Matters and also Juris, but that's sort of out of the way of the solos and the small firms. So if you're looking at combinations of front office and back office, those are some of the things you've got to keep in mind. For instance, Tabs 3 and Practice Master, because they're from the same company, have a very tight integration. Amicus Attorney and PC Law have a very good integration. Time Matters and Billing Matters have a good integration, as does Time Matters and PC Law because they're both from Lexus. So, I mean, it gets a little complicated, but those are the main things you need to be looking at and the types of systems. One of the things I hear about from our clients, Andy, is when they start going down this road is, is email integration. Are there any considerations for those products when it comes to that? Well, I think they, they, they all integrate. They all have rudimentary document management systems. For example, Time Matters, I'll talk about Time Matters and Amicus Attorney. Both of them integrate with GroupWise. Both of them integrate with Outlook and synchronize with the two. And they both have, like I said, rudimentary document management systems. So if you are using Outlook and Amicus Attorney and you're creating a document in Word, all right, you can link all your emails and all of the documents you've created to that client matter. And we're getting into what's called matter centricity or client centricity. So instead of having to look and search in four or five different software applications for like Andy Adkins, now you look in one place and do a search and it looks across not only the case management system, but also your time and billing system, your documents and all of your email, all in one search. And that's kind of what people are looking for is to have that power. We're going to wrap this up pretty quick, but I guess I, I have to ask you, since I hear some of these myself, what's the biggest complaint that you hear about practice management systems? I think it's uh, lawyer expectations. You know, we all grew up in the Star Trek world, you know, where you say, computer, turn on, and you expect things to happen. I mean, we live in a Hollywood world, and with a case management system, lawyers expect probably more than, than the system delivers, or they are not aware of it. That's the other thing, is a lack of training. I tell people when you implement a case management system, marry the developer or the integrator, because they're going to be your best friend. You need to know that this system, what it can do, its capabilities, but how you can use it best. There's no reason why if you've got a law firm that's transactional and litigation, you don't need two different systems. You can use one. But you need to understand the nuances between how a litigator is going to use this versus a transactional attorney because they're not going to both be using the same data fields and the same reports. You've got to be able to break that out. So training is also a big issue. But as I mentioned, I think people, you know, they, they expect more out of the system, but yet they're not willing to invest the time to learn what the system can do. And as, as a final question, Andy, 
when, when is it a good time to, to bring in an independent uh, legal technology consultant, and what can those folks do for the law firm? Well, I can only speak for myself, but I've been doing this for like 20 years. Not every, and this is again where Ross Codner and I just, we bounce heads. Ross believes everybody needs a consultant. I don't think so. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the phone with with lawyers who, who really get it and they know what they're, but they need a little bit of guidance as to what system here or what system there. And I, you know, they don't really need a consultant. There's two types of consultants to point out. There's the independent technology consultant, which is someone who works for the law firm. In other words, uh, an outside consultant that, that goes to the law firm, looks at what they've got, looks at how they're doing things, takes an inventory, and they spend time with them understanding their practice and then come back and make recommendations on what's best going to solve their particular problems. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for 20 years. There is also the sales consultant. That's the person who's going to come in and actually not only sell you the system, but install it, help you with data migration, do all of the training, and give you that much-needed support before, during, and after. I work with a lot of sales consultants across the country because that's what they do. I'm not going to be the one that sits there and install the system and set it up and configure it for you. That's what the sales consultant does. So in essence, you've really got to ask the question, if someone is looking at case management, what can that consultant do for them? I think the first thing is be objective. And the second thing is bring in that experience. It's going to say, well, this guy down the road may be using this particular system, but it's not for you because here's the differences between your practice and their practice. This has been a terrifically informative podcast. Thanks so much for being with us, Andy. My pleasure. It's been fun. Quite agree, Andy. We're happy to have had you. Don't forget, everybody, that the new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Practice Management System Software, is available at www.lawpractice.org. That's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us today, John, and please say goodbye to Miss Sharon. Will do, cowboy. <laughs>